The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Indeed. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the game changers, if you want to run with the innovative game changers, isn't that the best kind? You are in the right place. Today's buzz, on guard. Well, I studied fencing in camp way back in the day, so I know that term. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. Look it up. E-N-G-A-R-D-E with an exclamation point. What is she talking about? Well, the most successful companies today anticipate and often invent the future. When? Before their competitors do. The big competitors, the ones who are out there in the space taking market share away from these companies or trying to. Would you like to know the secret weapon of many large Fortune 500s? I bet you would. That's what we're going to talk about today. It's called competitive war gaming. No, they're not starting a war. It's war gaming. There are exercises that generate defensive strategies. Come on, you know in a war there's a defense and an offense. Sounds like a football game too. Effective defensive strategies as well as innovative offensive growth strategies that proactively anticipate, now listen to this list, new services, new products, and business models. Proactive is the key here, in advance, thinking ahead, being prepared, Boy Scout motto, yes. So how can you harness this creative tool for your company's own competitive advantage? Do you have a war room? Do you have people who are ready with their their APs, their swords, ready to go and do the on-guard battle? We have a panel of three very savvy gentlemen who are experts in this field. They are innovators. They are creators. They know what it takes. Let me just tell you who is joining me today, and then we'll start. First up, Brian W. Mattimore, co-founder and chief idea guy. I love that title. At the Growth Engine Company. Joining him is Christopher Bishop. We decided it would be more mellifluous if I said Christopher instead of Chris. He is the chief reinvention officer at a company called Improvising Careers. And Chris has already had seven careers. I think I'm running a close second to you, Chris. I think I'm at six and a half now. And rounding out the panel is our regular panelist, formerly SAP, now the founder of InnoLifters, it's Michelle Serrier calling in today from Switzerland. So let me get started. You know we're going to talk to our panelists through the quotes they sent me. First up, Ryan Mattimore sent me a quote from R. Buckminster Fuller. Back in the day, we used to call him Bucky Fuller. He was an ar- American architect, systems theorist, that I didn't know, an author, designer, and inventor. He published more than 30 books, and he coined and popularized terms such as Spaceship Earth, 
ephemeralization and synergetic. And I'll just read one more bit of uh, trivia here about Mr. Fuller. He developed numerous inventions, mainly architectural, and popularized the widely known geodesic dome. If you've never heard of it, I remember it. I bet Brian does. Carbon molecules known as fullerenes, that's after Bucky Fuller, were named by scientists for their structural and mathematical resemblance to geodesic spheres. He lived from 1895 to 1983, and he would have loved the fact that we're talking about him on Internet Radio today. Here's the quote Brian has selected. You never change things by fighting the existing reality. To change something, build a new model that makes the existing model obsolete. Brian Matamore, how have you been? I've been great, Bonnie. Thanks for having me. Oh, delighted, and thanks for helping me. Uh, in, you in, introduced us to Chris, Chris Bishop, who will meet Christopher Bishop in a minute. But I love the quote from, from I'm going to call him Bucky Fuller, just because back in the day, I, I was married at the way back in the day to uh, a young man who was an architecture student at Yale, and we talked about Buck Mr. Fuller a lot. So tell me, Brian, are you a fan of Mr. Fuller, and how did you pick the quote for our topic today? Well, I am a fan. Um, I was actually uh, scheduled to meet him, and then he happened to die the following week. I hope I wasn't part of that, but uh, you know, obviously, bad taste, just bad form, <laughs> bad form. Uh, but um, you know, one of the true geniuses of our age, and I, yes. I picked that quote because I think it aligns nicely with our topic of disruptive wargaming. The idea that you know we we have our known competitors, uh, but it's the unknown ones, uh, the unexpected ones the ones with different business models that are really, uh, in some ways, the most threatening. Very interesting. And, and I have a question for you. I didn't fully d- divulge or explain the topic, the formal topic today. It's disruptive wargaming, a critical tool for today's innovators. Brian, is disruptive a good thing in this case? It sounds like we're disrupting business models. We're trying to disrupt markets where other companies are maybe encroaching on the territory we either have or we want for our own. Is disruptive and wargaming, are those together a good thing? Well, I think they are. Uh, the disruptive thing, I, depend, I think it depends on which side of, of the disruption you're on. Good point. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, but uh, I, for those companies who are, um, you know, smart, and, and proactive about uh, inventing their own future, uh, they need to consider and often do consider the potential industry disruptors. And, and again, those are not people, you know, they're standard classic competitors. And I'm talking now primarily about large companies. Um, you know, they're the competitors that have a, a share of, you know, they're all sharing a certain percentage of the market. They are not, in these times, the biggest threat, in my opinion. The biggest threat is the disruptors, the, the, you know, the, the kid who in, inventing a new software program in his garage. Uh, that, those are the, the biggest disruptors and the biggest threat and the, and the least expected in these times. Interesting. And when you mention uh, in- inventing something in his garage, I have a feeling that old quote-unquote business model is passe because I think young people today are sitting at a computer, maybe in their bedroom, while they're supposed to be doing their homework and mom thinks that's what they're doing and dad's off doing whatever he's doing on his work computer and the kid is inventing some major new algorithm or some hacking methodology or something and then he goes forward with it and creates his own business and becomes a star. So I think we taken it out of the garage, which almost is a an enviable workspace. Do you think so, Brian? It's a place where it's hallowed now. I invented a business in my garage, right? Yeah, and or maybe uh, as as with Airbnb, you're in you're in a, a friend's apartment. <laughs> maybe that's a better model. Yes. 
That's right. I have read read about yes how they how that came to be. I read an interview with one of the creators. Thank you, Brian. And now let's turn to Christopher Bishop, Chief Reinvention Officer. You guys have such cool titles at Improvising Careers. Seven careers. I met you on a prep call a few weeks ago, Chris, and I wanted to be you after the call. I was so intrigued. I said, "Boy, I haven't done anything important in my life yet." So uh, Christopher Bishop has sent us a quote. A quote we frequently hear, but it's so appropriate for this show. It's from William. Gibson, William Ford Gibson. He's still alive, born in 1948, one of my compadres in the almost leaning edge of the baby boomers, but I'm admitting too much. He's an American and Canadian speculative fiction writer and essayist, widely credited with pioneering the science fiction subgenre, boy, this is long, known as cyberpunk. He also, everybody listen up, William Gibson coined the term cyberspace in his short story, Burning Chrome, in 1982, and popularized it in his acclaimed debut novel, Neuromancer, in 1984. In 1999, The Guardian called William Gibson probably the most important novelist of the past two decades, while the Sydney Morning Herald called him the noir prophet of cyberpunk. Here is the quote. We love it and we know it well. The future has already arrived. It's just not distributed, widely distributed yet. Chris Bishop, welcome. How are you? I'm good. How are you, Bonnie? Thanks for inviting I'm, me to join you. Oh, delighted. You want to quickly enumerate your seven careers quickly without going into the wonderful details, which I enjoyed on our call, and then talk to me about your quote? Okay, well, just to to, um, to follow on the thought around William Gibson, right? So he, he wrote Neuromancer 30 years ago, and as you say, he is kind of the found the founder of this whole cyberpunk cyberspace model. But what I, one thing I love about his worldview is, he views, this is way before the Matrix and, and Tom Cruise, right, but the idea of a computerized network that he terms a consensual hallucination. That was a nice term to share. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Uh, and, and speaking about his, um, the idea of, you know, the future being here but not widely distributed, I think that was probably more true when he wrote this book, which ironically was written in 1984, right, no connection to George Orwell, uh, perhaps. Right. His publisher had some ironic uh, twist in mind. Um, but thinking that technology has now driven the future to be more widely distributed more rapidly. So, anyway, that's more, sort of more rapidly. I like that. So, now talk to me. What about your seven careers? You want to just give us a quick a listing? Sure. So, um, I have a degree in German literature from Bennington College, uh, and I. Six months after getting out of college, I got a gig with a touring country rock band called McKendry Spring. Spent three years with them. The band broke up. I moved to New York, became a session musician. Played with Robert Palmer and Chuck Berry. Got tired of that. Um, ended up in the jingle business, writing and producing music for radio and television commercials. Uh, became intrigued after that with this new wacky technology thing called the Internet and taught myself to be a web producer and worked at several seminal agencies in New York and then, much to my surprise, was hired by IBM into their fledgling corporate Internet programs organization. Spent 15 years at Big Blue doing a lot of different things, uh, working as a management consultant as technology began to drive attributable revenue and improve productivity and efficiency. Uh, I did a lot of work in social media and virtual worlds. I was a member of the virtual universe community at IBM helped run an Academy of Technology event in Second Life on Virtual Worlds. Um, and then e-tired, to use IBM parlance, about three years ago, and I've been working as a freelance consultant and speaker and writer talking about these uh, multiple careers. And 
catching myself with all like a modesty as somewhat the poster child for the way today's learners are going to work in the 21st century's global borderless workplace. Thank you, Chris. And the reason I asked you, I, I very rarely ask guests to give us their full bio or even a, the elevator speech version of their bio. But because we're here on Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, you are an innovator. And if, if nothing else, and I know you've innovated a lot, you've innovated your own career path in a way that is, is hard to believe, but very admirable and very exciting. And, and the leap of faith in there somewhere was amazing, probably to you and the people who hired you. Very happy to have you. And thanks for the great quote from Mr. Gibson. And now let's round out our panel with one of our regulars here. He started this series with me a couple of years ago, Innovating Innovation. It's Michel Serrier, who spent 26 years at SAP and is now on his own as the founder of Inno Lifters. Think I-N-N-O for innovation. And Michelle has sent me an interesting quote from Don. Donald Rumsfeld. Aha, uh-huh. name sound familiar. Rumsfeld is Donald Henry, born in 1932, still with us, American politician and businessman. Here's the interesting thing. He is both the youngest and the second oldest person to have served as the U.S. Secretary of Defense. There are a couple of bookends for you. He was the 13th Secretary of Defense under President Gerald Ford from 75 to 77 and the 21st from 2001 to 6 under President George W. Bush. And now he's a three-time U.S. Congressman, Director of the Office of Economic Opportunity in the in the late 60s, Counselor to the President in the 70s, and the U.S. Permanent Representative to NATO, and the White House Chief of Staff from 74 to 75. There's another guy who kept innovating his career. So here's the quote Michelle has sent. It was a very long one, but here's the short version we're looking for today. There are things that we now know we don't know, but there are also unknown unknowns. Very interesting quote. Michelle, comment ça va? I'm uh, doing fine. Thanks. (laughs) He won't talk to me in French. That tells you something very important. He knows me too well because it's after 20 years of not speaking it is very limited. Michelle, where are you calling from today? Uh, uh, I'm calling from Lausanne, which is uh, in Switzerland, close to the or next to the Geneva. It's Very beautiful nice there. I, I lived in Switzerland for a month way back when and lived in a in a family's home. They were uh, renting out. This was before Airbnb, but they were allowing U.S. tourists who wanted to study at the University of Neuchâtel to come and stay in their room, a, a tour group. And there were about four of us young ladies staying with this wonderful family. And I took the train to Geneva and remember it very, very well. So tell me, how in the world did you... Who, you, who is French by, by birth, I understand, come up with a quote from Donald yeah. Rumsfeld, who is uh, deeply admired in, in U.S. politics, and such a fabulous quote. So, Michelle, how did you find this quote? Because I was looking for, um, I'm, I'm, I'm using, well, I'm dealing a lot, uh, dealing a lot with innovation, and uh, there are a lot of things you don't know, so you, you, you're also telling your own customers that uh, there are many things we don't know, but we should at least be aware that we don't know them. And then I was looking for a quote in that direction, and I was amazed that uh, the best one I could find was actually coming from Donald, Donald Rumsfeld. Um, and that's why I took it, because I think it, 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 um, it sticks to, uh, to, to what we're going to discuss today, even if I take the one from William Gibson. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, now, thanks to digitalization, um, innovation is getting distributed um, earlier. The thing is, you, you don't know where it's coming from, and you don't know where to look for so there are still a lot of unknowns, even though you know that there is something around. 
Very well put, Michelle. And now I'm going to grace you by reading, honor you by reading the full quote. Rumsfeld said, there are things we know that we know. There are known unknowns. That is to say, there are things that we now know we don't know, but there are also unknown unknowns. There are things we do not know we don't know. So there's the full quote. If that's not a, a conundrum or a tangle, it might be a, 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 a tautology. I'm not sure, circular reasoning. But I think Rumsfeld just knocked it out of the park when he decided how many permutations of known and unknown can I come up with. Michelle, wonderful to have you on. Michelle, how's everything in your world since you you went out on your own? Are you innovating on a daily basis? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I did a few things. <laughs> I did a few things which I didn't used to do at SAP, and it's uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun. I'm still working quite closely with SAP. So and now you fun. know the unknown unknowns and the known unknowns and the known knowns. Yes, well, and those are all yes. They're all yes yeses, aren't they? So let's circle back to Brian, Madam. Where Brian? This is the part of the program where I ask you a, a personal question, but you know what's coming because we discussed it. I want to know where are you? Well, that's not too personal. But what is in your cup today? What are you drinking right now? Or what do you plan to drink that's more exciting after the show? Brian Matamore, talk to me. Well, I'm I'm actually I'm drinking um, Bigelow Home Blend Iced Tea and the Simply Unsweetened version is, is what I'm drinking. And, uh, you know, I, they tell me sugar is not so good for you, so I've moved over to uh, unsweetened iced teas of all different varieties, and I've become somewhat of a connoisseur of these different unsweetened teas, and it's surprising to me that, um, they all taste different. Uh, you'd think they'd all taste the same, but they don't. And what's special about this one that you're drinking? What do you like especially? Without the sugar, I'm thinking it's kind of a either pucker up if it has a lot of lemon or it's like, ooh, if it has a very strong tannic acid from a little too much tea dunking. So tell me, what's special about this? Well, I think it's the the um, they have sort of master blenders over there. Um, I'm, I'm told, and there's uh, well, I'm looking at the ingredients here: orange tapioca, uh, orange tapioca, and organic green tea, um, and, and this and and, and 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 also the black tea uh, leaves. And so it's the combination of all those things that gives it a wonderful. Uh, kind of flavor. There's some lactic acid in there and some maltodextrin. But, uh, but, uh, <laughs> oh, let's not go into the gory details. Thank you very much. Just lost our appetite. It's the, when we get to the malto stuff. I say, nah, I don't think so. Oh well, what can I tell? I would have put a little sugar in. Brian, you're a brave soul. Thank you, Chris Bishop. Where are you? And what are you drinking today? Uh, I'm sitting in the wood burbs of Wilton, Connecticut, about an hour northeast of New York, and I'm drinking Oren Special Roast which is kind of a boutique coffee uh, roaster in New York. I buy this coffee at the Grand Central Market, the Grand Central Terminal. Um, but the thing about it that uh, I like, and I'm going to wax metaphoric here, is that it's a very unique New York-specific kind of roast. You can't get this coffee anywhere else, as far as I know. Um, but I think of it as a metaphor tied back to the William Gibson quote that um, there are solutions that are being delivered by technology in local settings that are unique. Right, how's that for a segue? So things like um, M-Pesa in Kenya, right, delivering financial services over cell phones. Uh, I think of, again, yes. this, this orange yes. coffee as a, as a metaphor for these new kinds of solutions, smartphone microscopes, the ability mm. to conduct mobile eye exams in emerging markets wow. using um, portable technologies. So that's what I'm drinking this morning, yeah. 
Thank you. Very interesting. Yes, and thank you for that uh, that segue and for talking about innovation. It's really sitting right in front of us. If you look around your desk, there are so many things any of us could have invented, innovative, created, brought to the world, reinvented models of how we do what we do, even looking at the things somebody else invented. You're absolutely right. The idea of a smartphone micro- microscope and remote eye exams blows me away. Just who, who would have thunk it, as they as they say in some parts of the world? Thank you, Christopher. Michelle Serrier. Yeah, no, you're in. You're you're welcome. You're welcome. Uh, Michelle Serrier is in Lausanne, beautiful part of the world. What are you drinking today, Michelle? Well, actually, I'm going to say I'm I'm drinking something local, but that you can get everywhere throughout the world. To take uh, the other side, which is Nespresso, uh, which belongs to uh, to Nestle. It's probably not mm-hmm. the, the the best coffee, but we're using. I, I'm, yeah, I'm using it since 94 and 96, which is pretty at the beginning of when Nespresso became yes. a success. And yes. today it's, a, it's an espresso. It was born in Lausanne, and, uh, <clears throat> and it, ah. it has spread, spread since then. That's very, very interesting. I, I have a red Nespresso, as you probably remember, Michelle, to go with the red quartz uh, countertops in my kitchen and my red toaster and my red mini blender from Hamilton Beach. Yes, a little name dropping here. And I love my Nespresso, but as, as Michelle knows and Brian and Chris are about to find out, they don't let me have caffeine on radio show days. Oh, I wonder why. So on that note, we're going to take a break. <laughs> we have a very, very interesting topic, disruptive wargaming. Think about a room and people not barricaded in that room but you know the passcode to get in and you can't get out until it's all done and trying to be proactive about what's happening in your business your industry what you need to think about offensively defensively to win the game that's what we're talking about today disruptive war gaming we're going to tell you how to do it a critical tool for today's innovators my very special panelists are brian w Matamore, christopher bishop and michelle serrier i'm bonnie d graham and i plan to still be after the break so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial we'll be right back with a lot more justin out we're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, and business networks and supply chains are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Innovating Innovation with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. The business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Listening to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers. 
indeed we are. And if you are online, if you're listening to us live right now, what's the date today? My goodness, it's already July 14, 2016. Uh, we are having a good time here on Twitter, capturing the words of wisdom of my three esteemed panelists, Brian Mattimore, Christopher Bishop, and Michelle Serrier. And we've got Oski Almez from SAP, who is tweeting, and Michelle Serrier. What a great pen and ink drawing of you, Michelle. Send that to me for the guest directory. I love it. That's That looks really, really cool. It looks like a little bit of a caricature, a little bit of a portrait, but we're at hashtag SAP Radio, so join the fun. And if you're listening, we'd love to hear the thoughts from my guests that you think are the most important on this topic. Let's start our roundtable in earnest. And I once went out to dinner with a gentleman named Ernest, and I called my mother and said, the date was so-so. And she said, was he sincere? Ernest sincere. <laughs> Took a bada bing, bada boom. Okay, the answer was no. Okay, so Brian, <laughs> Madam Moore, we are going to start talking. I promised before the great break we would tell our listeners what in the heck this is all about. So let's start with how to design a disruptive war gaming session. And let me tell a little bit what you told me in the notes. You say a disrupting disruptive war gaming event is typically two days. Oh, nobody's going to believe this one. With 25 to 50 senior company executives, session participants are assigned a team in advance, well in advance of the actual session. These teams are typically five to six people. They are both known competitors and potential industry disruptors. So why don't you break this out for us, Brian? It frightens me to think that this is only for companies. Of course, we're referencing what the big Fortune 500s are doing. But let's talk about how to do it and how to scale it down to a smaller company that might only have 20 people, maybe a startup or maybe 15 or a mid-sized company. They might only have 250 people. So Brian Mattimore, get us started. Two minutes and then we will have Christopher Bishop and Michelle Serrier chime in on what they think. Go ahead, Brian. Sure. Well, um, you know, this, this disruptive wargaming stuff, wargaming's been around a long time, and also there's been scenario planning work. Um, Shell uh, originally pioneered this in the, the wonderful book, The Art of the Long View. So you might think of this as what is our innovation strategy, what is our growth strategy for the future, and disruptive wargaming is a way to have a more uh, robust strategy, a more intelligent strategy, strategy a, a better strategy, frankly. And so, I mean, we work primarily with the Fortune 500 guys, but for the smaller guys, um, you know, they can use the same uh, processes here to get the same um, insights and, and, and ideas. Uh, with the larger guys, the reason they're, they're 25 to 50, we've had as many as 100, um, which is obviously a huge, huge commitment by the organization in terms mm-hmm. of time and money and manpower and all the rest. Um, but the reason they, they, they're willing to do that is because um, this is the future of the organization. Uh, I remember we did one for a large bank. They, we had the top 100 people in the organization participating wow. in this thing, and the re- including the chairman. And the reason was because they knew that the world of banking was being reinvented, and they had to, to reinvent themselves. And so... You know, the, the chairman, who was an enlightened guy, recognized that this was the, the future, and if they didn't do this, they'd be in, in huge trouble. So, in, so, that, so, you know, wargaming's been around a long time, but disruptive wargaming, which is sort of what we've pioneered, um, has, has really been about getting those unexpected competitors. So if you're in the insurance world, you know, you're, role-play, you're role-playing Allstate and State Farm and Geico, but if, you know, Amazon or Walmart or Google decides to enter the insurance business, boy, oh, boy, um, that business could be changed dramatically um, and in ways that you didn't anticipate. 
And so this is a real-world example for us, one of our insurance clients. Um, we had them role-playing Amazon, Google, and Walmart. And, and as I said in the notes, yes, somebody does get to play Jeff Bezos. And by the way, that team, which, which was wonderful, uh, they really get into the role-playing. They have T-shirts made, and, and in that wow. case, uh, the Amazon team actually brought in drones to uh, spy <laughs> on their competitors. Uh, wow. So, awesome. but, but, it sounds like fun. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, uh, but but serious too. And so so just to to give you the mechanism of this, uh, day one is all about uh, role playing the competition, and you know it's working when people move from saying uh, I think they to I think we. If we're playing Amazon, you know, if they move from saying I think they Amazon, no, no, it's you. Oh, I think we Amazon. So that's when you know that it's really starting to work. And by the way, they've spent probably. Um, you know, there have been uh, literally months of present pre- preparation for this. You look at, um, you know, analyst reports, you look at annual reports. If people had formally worked at that company, um, you do interviews with them. So this team, um, there's a lot of prep work for this. This team has done a lot of work to, it, to understand what uh, Amazon is doing and where they think the future is going. So, so to bottom line it, they, we, we have these teams play the, the competitors on day one and disruptive and um, unexpected competitors on day one. They present what their strategies for growth will be. And then on day two, you go back to being uh, your original company. And given all these competitive strategies, what are you going to do? And so that's, that's the day two thing. And there's some extraordinary, um, surprising and unique things that, can, that come out of this if, if we want to get into those at some point. Yeah, let's, let's just stop here for a minute, Brian. Thanks for the intro to the concept, and let's get Christopher Bishop's feedback. Uh, agree, disagree, have you ever done one of these, Christopher? Let's get your, your t- two cents worth or whatever you want to chip into the ante here. Yeah. And, and then, Michelle, go ahead. Christopher? No, it sounds fascinating. Um, but, uh, as you say, it certainly sounds like roots in the, the shell sort of scenario planning thing, but way more creative and interesting than that. question I have is around sort of barriers, Brian. So what kind of... I mean, to get 100 people, including, like, C-suite execs into a room to do this for several days is a, is a major accomplishment, right? Um, I was, so I was thinking kind? the same thing. Yeah, the right? scheduling I mean, must be a bear. Six months in, in advance? Yeah, yeah I mean, six alone, months but, is overstating it, maybe three, but, but you're absolutely correct. And, and what it takes, it really takes two things. It really takes, and it could be an either-or, either an extremely enlightened CEO Right, yeah. mm-hmm. um, or uh, a company that's in big trouble, <laughs> right? <laughs> and they're willing to yeah. try it. What, what's cool is that <laughs> yeah, many yeah. of our Makes clients um, the, are, are actually leading their industries, and and the CEO is is so enlightened that he recognizes that this could change dramatically, and he also recognizes he or she, excuse me, uh, recognizes that, that by doing this, by doing this. Um, they could help change the culture to be more open to new new ways of thinking and new creativity, which is extremely hard if you're the market leader and have had a record quarter. Right. And that's, yeah, yeah. that's the time that you're you know should be most worried if you're the CEO. Interesting, yeah. interesting. Go ahead, Chris. Any any comments you want to make? I want to get Michelle in because uh, Michelle works on innovation, and he has for so many years. And I'm wondering, if, Michelle, if you think this would work for startups as a starting model rather than uh, an est- in addition to a, an established company. Christopher, anything else you want to share? Well, just uh, again, that it sounds very exciting. I'd love to uh, um, 
learn more about it. With my consultant hat on, wondering what the sort of end product or work product or deliverable is that typically comes out of that kind of session. I mean, some strategic guidance, I would guess, or as you say, culture change, right? So I think of the Peter Drucker quote, right? Culture eats strategy for lunch. So unless you're, like, getting the, the cultural shift, um, would you say that the, the war gaming delivers that kind of um, change? Is it a change agent for, for culture as well as just business strategy? It, it is, and that was one of our biggest surprises, frankly, in doing this work. Um, we, with, with, a, with another client, an insurance company, when we did this work, we were surprised that, that it was about culture change. One of the, one of the um, salespeople um, a week after this thing came up to us and said, you know, I have totally changed the way that I do selling now. I'm, our, our salespeople are much more humble, even though they're by far the industry leader. They said they're much more humble, they're much more service-oriented, because they now understand that their industry could be radically disrupted. Hmm. And so that's one part of culture change. The other part of culture change, and we actually did this with a large computer company, one that I know Chris knows, um, that uh, th- because people were involved in uh, sort of imagining their own strategic future rather than having just a strategic planning department tell them where they were going, um, two things. One, they felt more commitment to the organization, which is always important yeah. in terms yeah. of Right, in, in, in terms of culture, but also what was wonderful is that they also became more confident about what their strategy is, and because they because they they had been part of of developing it. Um, yeah. and, and finally, the other thing, almost from a tactical standpoint, is that um, companies have anticipated by doing this work, and this was again a surprise. Um, what their competitors, uh, companies that might be they might be acquiring. Right, and this yeah. happened specifically for one of our clients. They anticipated an acquisition by one of uh, by their mm. competitors, and even more importantly, they were ready to to know what to do when that acquisition was made. They were because they had done the planning against that. Right, um, interesting. And, and I guess finally, they also, from a tactical standpoint, get to see. Uh, indicators of when uh, a new trend is going to be occurring because they've played, role-played um, how that trend or situation might manifest. And so they're, they're kind of ready for that. They, they see the indicators about what their competition do, is doing or what the market is doing um, and, 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 and understand that this change is now probably about to happen. Hmm. So, wow. so the net is there are a lot of strategies, there's culture change, and there are also tactics that come out of this. Yeah, Thank great. you, Brian. And thanks for your insightful questions, Christopher. I appreciate that. And Michelle, sorry, I, I really want to get you in on this conversation. Thoughts on, on uh, innovators at the earlier stages of company establishment or development? Michelle, what do you think about this, and do you think it could work for smaller companies? Well, I think I, I'm not sure it can work for a startup, or it probably can work for any size of company, but I'm not sure it's relevant for a, for a startup yet because they have uh, um, have many other uh, challenges that they need to sort out. Uh, but, but what I find very interesting, uh, because I never participated in one of those, but I would be really interested in doing so, mm-hmm. is that, I mean, I'm running now since five years workshops where we're, mis- where we're mixing um, things like design thinking, like the business model canvas, uh, 
but those ones are looking at even at the ecosystem in a creative way, but you don't, you're not putting yourself in the shoes of the competition. So, um, but it's interesting to see that uh, the, the critical success factors, which is the visionary CEO or being in trouble, are the same same ones everywhere. It's really difficult to get a company that uh, that works well to try to reimagine its future. Um, and what I also found interesting is uh, is a cultural shock, because that I think is also one which is uh, um, which is an important one, especially if you look now at the digital world to to which we are going, I think that the, uh, the technology doesn't play a role. It's really the, the company needs to, um, to get into a different mindset, and maybe those types of workshops will help them to realize that they need to do that, uh, that migration, uh, which is not a technological one, and uh, so that they can survive also in 10 years or even grow. So, yeah. Thank, thank you, Michelle. Hey, so this I, is I'm, Chris. I just got to say, yeah, Michelle, go I, I, uh, I have a different perspective, actually. Um, I think it would be great uh, if startups took this kind of wargaming model and made mm-hmm. it a part of their everyday strategy development process. Would it be because you you don't have any legacy processes or hierarchy or um, executives uh, in the way? You could, in theory, design a model using Brian's approach that was like every quarter or however frequently you could you could manage it. You come together and do this kind of thinking, given the rate and pain, pace at which um, technology is disrupting business models, right? Wouldn't that be a cool way to kind of stay abreast, stay ahead, stay competitive, stay viable? Michelle, so, thoughts? I, 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 uh, I agree and disagree. Yes, you need to do it, but I, <laughs> uh, I'm, um, what I'm seeing currently in the startup where I invested, not that I have a big experience, is that actually... Um, well, on one hand, we're we're fighting to make sure that we get some money in to to be able to pay the checks at the end of the month. Yeah. And on the other side, you um, you with a startup, you're trying yourself to disrupt the rest of the market, and to do so, you you you're trying to avoid to um, to publish IP. I'm going to to, to divulge a lot, so it's the, you could do if you would know where your competitors are. If, if as soon as you know that, then yes, we should you should go for such an approach. Yeah, but, no, but revisiting the business model every week business. or every second week is is really a good. Yeah, one. that's true. And and this is Bonnie. I have an idea. Let me just throw this out on the table, and then we're going to move to some good good hey, opening hey, Bonnie, there, Mister Madam. Here too. So let's hear your idea. Then I'll give you my okay. Idea. My idea is: what if, what if, Michelle? I'm addressing this to you in particular. What if an angel investor like yourself, and I'm guessing that Christopher and Brian might also be, went to a company that was thinking, approached them with an idea, and said, "We'll only invest in you if you go through." a disruptive war game exercise where we know how proactive you plan to be when you disrupt the industry you think you want to be in or the multiple industries, when we know how you would approach encroaching competitors or the big guys and gals who are already out there in that space, when we know how you can think on the offense and the defense side of the virtual disruptive wargaming football game, if you will, and when we see how you and even your tiny team thinks out of the box, then we'll give you the money and then we'll be in business together. Brian, what do you think about that? I absolutely love it. I can't believe you took my idea, Bonnie. <laughs> ah, come on, come on. Well, I was going to say, I was going to say that if startups would do this before they went to get their yes! money, they yes! would be more likely to get the money. I can't believe we had yes! the same idea. Uh, uh, great minds. 
Oh my! Well, I'm honored to to be even called a mind alongside (laughs) of the three of you. But that's what I was thinking, Michelle. If we back it up to pre in business and say this is how we go about. What if this was a a de rigueur for new companies? For what what if uh, startups and I call it people with a business or product or service idea as a gleam in their eye? What if they adopted this model? And I'm willing to bet, Brian that a lot of companies do this without realizing it. The smart startups, yeah. they sit down, they do the war game. They say, wait a minute, we want to come in with this little teensy-weensy widget in a market that has 10,000 widgets, and we want ours to be top of mind when people do X, Y, Z. And we know we have five really behemoth competitors, and we think there's a couple guys down the block in their garage or some high school kids who are working on this because we've seen some of these launch pad uh, sessions that are going around in our neighborhood neighborhood. So, you know, let's really approach it from a war game perspective and let's nail it. I think that'd be an exciting way to start a business. I can't wait to start my own business. No, I'm too busy for that. <laughs> anyway. Absolutely. And if you look at the money guys, I mean, the question they're always going to ask is about scale, right? Is this idea scalable? And, you know, the smarter, the smarter entrepreneurs have an answer to that. But, of course, if they have done this sort of disruptive wargaming, they will have anticipated, I would say, 90% of those scalability questions that the investors are going to ask. So I think, I think it's a brilliant idea. I personally hadn't thought of it until I thought of it before you thought of it, Bonnie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, 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 uh, right. Knock the host <laughs> off. The, yeah, right. I know, we Brian. We at the same time. Yeah, well... I think it's a great idea, and I and I think that uh, those those <laughs> entrepreneurs looking for investment uh, will will find it to be an incredibly valuable exercise and give them a lot more confidence when they go in to get the money. Yeah, confidence is another yeah. thing. And thank thank you for the thanks for being a gentleman and let, letting the <laughs> lady who raised her hand in the back of Congress go go first and have the floor. I appreciate that, Mr. Matamor. I will I treasure your politesse. Now, Christopher Bishop, I'm looking at your note. We have too much fun. I'm looking at your notes here, Christopher. I see that your your specialty is uh, skills for success, learning, relearning, unlearning disciplines. I want you to please speak very briefly. I have a topic here I'm picking from your notes. I think it's very, very interesting. You say 85% of the jobs that today's learners will be doing haven't even been invented yet. They'll be using technology that doesn't exist to solve problems we don't yet know are problems. Okay, that goes back to the quote Michelle shared with us from Rumsfeld. But let's talk about skills for success will need to be broad and focused on the ability to learn, unlearn, relearn. So let's apply this to this whole concept we're talking about, creative tools for competitiveness, for innovation, for this wargaming concept Ryan introduced. Who will be best suited to do this? What skills do you think they need, Christopher? And then we'll have Michelle and Brian chime in. So go ahead, Christopher. Yeah. So first, a quick plug. I'm speaking next week in Washington, D.C. at the World Future Society Conference on how to be successful at jobs that don't exist. I and, love it. Wow. Okay. Right? And, and the... Um, Unfortunately, they're not live streaming it, but uh, hopefully someone will be tweeting some of the stuff. And I'll make the presentation available on SlideShare afterwards. But the idea is that because uh, because the uh, you know the job market, the job economy, the global kind of workplace is changing so dramatically across every discipline, every vertical, right, every function uh, is being impacted to varying degrees. But uh, without a doubt, they're all getting uh, modified and transmogrified, if you will. Um, the kind of skills that 
that need to be taught, need to be embraced, need to be encouraged, are not things like STEM. I have to say, I know this, is, this can, might be a, mm. a controversial comment, but I think STEM is a Band-Aid. I think it's, uh, it's a near-term, short-term fix. But the kinds of skills that we should be teaching are more aligned to embody you. Uh, I had this conversation before, but around mm-hmm. liberal arts, right? There's a great Fareed Zakaria book recently came out. He wrote on it called In, In Defense of a Liberal Arts Education. Mm-hmm. The idea being that the skills that these kids are going to need to be successful are focused more around creative problem-solving, Similar to some of the things Brian's talking about in this wargaming exercise, being comfortable with ambiguity, being resourceful and resilient, um, being creative, being passionate, motivated, uh, being able to work and understand multiple disciplines, work across uh, different uh, functional areas, and being aware of your role as a global citizen. So those are the kinds of things that uh, that kids need to be aware of, need to be encouraged to to address. Uh, so that's... Hey, hey, Chris, this is Brian. My my son James is a philosophy major at UConn. Thanks you. <laughs> All right. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> so when I often when I speak to university students, I do this periodically, right? Um, and the ones who are in niche kind of skills, uh, you know, feel comfortable. And the ones who are studying more, you know, broader topics, humanities related kinds of uh, content, uh, my comment to them, and they're apprehensive because of that, my comment to them is you're going to be managing the people with the niche skills. You know, you're going to be running a team at Google uh-huh. X working on Project Loon to put Internet balloons uh, in geostationary orbits above, orbits above emerging market countries, you know. So chill. And besides that, you, we don't know what you're going to be doing because, you know, Bureau of Labor Statistics says that kids are going to have 8 to 10 jobs by the time they're 38, typical 10-year Years of service is like 18 months to three years. So it's like, relax. It's going to be fun. You're going to do really interesting stuff. We're at a seminal tipping point uh, around all kinds of interesting topics, sustainable energy and education and healthcare and transportation, on and on. Thank you, Christopher. Very interesting insights, and I appreciated your challenge to STEM. Uh, every time somebody comes up with a new model, I think we need in this world today to invite challengers to that model. It might be good at the time. It might be good for some people, but that doesn't mean across the level, the playing field is that level. So I appreciate that challenge and, and all of the skills you mentioned. Michelle Sirier, I'd love to have you chime in on what Christopher just proposed as what young people need to do to be prepared, the learn, relearn, unlearn. What do you, what do you see in your travels, Michelle, working with innovators? Who are they today? That's um, good. You, um, you alluded to before, uh, and he's listening to uh, to us. Is probably um, mm-hmm. uh, sitting there and laughing because because that's exactly I'm I'm, I'm saying exactly the same the, the same thing. I don't and I have three kids myself. <laughs> and what they what they were taught, be it in Germany or in France, is is uh, doesn't help them to face their their future. Um, mm. So uh, this whole thing that you need to be flexible that actually it's not the amount of uh, knowledge you have, but actually more the ability you have to acquire new knowledge, the, the fact that you're not going to be risk-averse, but rather willing to take a, a bit of risk, is, uh, is I think, what, they, what people need to know in the future. And I agree that, that uh, at least, I mean, I know the European system a bit better than the U.S., is that it's going to take us another 15 to 20 years, to because you also need to re... It's another generation of teachers you would need, actually, to be able to, to teach the way... Um, uh, was just described before. It's a, so it's a, it's a huge challenge that our society has. Um, it is huge. And, and, 
it's it's amazing. And the and the, the gener- our kids, they will basically be in the twilight zone um, between where we are today and uh, where they need the society to go to. Michelle, you just brought up a great point, and the point is that it needs to start perhaps with education. The new breed of teachers understanding this, the new educational system models around the world teaching this, allowing this, encouraging this. Brian Matamore, got to get you in on this part of the conversation very quickly because I want to move to one of Michelle's topics, and we're almost out of time. Brian, yeah, what do you I'm, think I'm, about the... Well, yeah. Michelle talked about the Twilight Zone, and I, if you look at the Twilight Zone, it's the combination of two worlds, right? The sort of dream world yeah. and the world of reality. And if you look at the future of these jobs that Chris was talking about, I think it's the it's the combination of different disciplines that is so exciting. So, you know, if you look at you know, you could just if if you if you're a kid or, or or want a new career, just start combining different categories or different professions. So, you know, medical entertainment or psychological <laughs> yeah, yeah. archaeology or yeah. neural law. You know, these are, these are all possibilities in the future. I, you know, I listened to a, a lecture the other day on neuro neuro law. You know, and how uh, mm. they're looking at um, you know studies of the brain as a way to justify. Uh, this is the defense attorneys, right? Justify, um, you know, immoral behavior, for instance, but or forensic archaeology, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, these, this is where the future is going. This this twilight zone, these combinations of disciplines, or the intersections of disciplines uh, that will create the future. Very well put. And by the way, everybody, Brian was on both of my cable TV shows a few weeks ago. And if you're interested, you can go to Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O dot com. I'm not selling anything. Don't worry. Vimeo dot com and see if you can search for me, Bonnie D. Graham. And look, I've got about 300 of my thousand shows up there posted on my Vimeo channel. It's Vimeo dot com slash channel slash 170669 if you can write that down fast. Good luck. And uh, look for Brian Matamore. You'll see his, his photo and on the opening, uh, he was on Skype, so you'll see me side by side. But we talked about these mashups, didn't we, Brian? Some we creative did. ideas, and it, it was a lot of fun. It's way and, too and, much and for one get, show. And, then, and in these disruptive wargaming things, we will often use mashups. So we'll have, you know, ideas of shareableness. You know, obviously, uh, Airbnb is a shareable model, or, or crowdsourcing, or using the word smart in front of uh, different industries can can reinvent or. Um, you know, disrupt an industry because someone has brought in a new smart technology and on and on and on. And and medical entertainment, I don't know if you mentioned that, but I've been saying to my a certain doctor who, ser- who serves uh, females in their female needs that they need to have a digital sensor-driven crossword puzzle on the ceiling of the exam room so while you're in a difficult situation or or else a catalog of of uh, chippendales or whatever where you can have this this invisible sensor and while you're saying ouch you can be doing the crossword puzzle on the ceiling and and you don't have you know you can relax so i i got to i have to the medical lexicography right because you would have medical terms in the crossword puzzle no no go. medical terms at all it'd be the easiest crossword puzzle invented by man or woman where you were guaranteed to get 100% success during the time it took for something to happen and something to be finished happening, which is about five minutes too long. So let's let's move on. Mich- I got to talk to you about that, Brian. Michelle Serrier, uh, let's look at one one thing here. Uh, you say to become nimble, you need leadership at all levels. To the contrary of simple management, and you need to go for global. That's global and local oriented structures. Let's very briefly just Michelle give me a one minute detail of this, please, because we have to go to our predictions. Go ahead, Michelle. 
Well, to, to take a few points of what we, we were just saying the, the past hour, is that, I mean, it would be, in a perfect world, this, this, this war gaming and the, the, the way uh, the, the, the new generation is also to work um, means also that we, we need to change the way we manage companies and that it's not just moving the, the leadership and having a clear plan of what you, where you want to have or where you want to go, and it's not about motivating the employees because most of the time they are already motivated. It's actually making sure that actually if you still have a middle management, that the middle management is not afraid of, um, of moving forward. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm saying that you, you need to, to turn away from management to something which is really leadership at all, at all level. Um, and because, that's, because the young generation is not going to join companies that have managers, but try, um, they're rather going to, uh, to join companies where they, they believe in the, in the mission, the vision, and the, and the leadership, and the leadership at all levels, even the person they're going to work for. Thank you very much. Very, very insightful. I'm sorry we don't have more time to go into that. We might just have to have Oski invite the three of you back. Oski, you're listening. I know she's tweeting. Maybe we need a part two or, or maybe we need to bring this topic over to our flagship show, Coffee Break with Game Changers. I run that calendar, and I think we need a part two on this one. So I will talk to the three of you now. It's time for the crystal ball predict. If you'd like to come back, of course, we'll discuss that off air. Uh, Only positive comments. What did Perry Como used to say? Keep those cards and letters coming or something like that. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember the mailbox? We love you, Perry Como. I do. I I am dating myself incredibly. Oh, geez. Okay. So, Brian, totally. Brian Matamore, uh, predictions. I can give you about 30 seconds. I like the year 2020. How far can you see in the future as far as the future of, let's just be specific, the future of disruptive wargaming? How will it become so, so pro forma, if you will, that it won't be disruptive anymore because everybody will be doing it? So, 2020, let's look ahead. What do you think will change about this topic? Brian Matamore, 30 seconds. Then Christopher and then Michelle. Brian, go. Yeah, I think that uh, the CEOs of the future will absolutely have to be using uh, scenario planning, disruptive wargaming, imaginative futurizing, whatever you want to call it, because that is their role. And to me, if, if they're not doing that and the best guys are, then they're going to be behind and they could get disruptive and um, the, the shareholders are not, are not going to be happy. So I can only see uh, this growing and growing and growing because, um, because the reality of the world, um, we are in a disruptive world now. Things have changed where things can be disrupted so quickly that I frankly don't think there's much of a choice. Thank you very much. I, li- I don't think there's much of a choice. That's a statement for the ages. I, I think we've heard that from our parents way too often back in the day. Thank you very much. And Christopher Bishop, 30 seconds, please predict for us. Yeah, so 2020, to be fair, right, is like three and a half years away. So that's kind of like it's, next weekend. It's 10 uh, minutes. It's 10 minutes it's away. 10 minutes, I know. Exactly. It's like I agree. Exhale, inhale and exhale. But that said, I think two things. Um, learning is going to be uh, is going to permeate uh, culture in a, in brand new ways. I mean, not alone MOOCs and but the but technology will drive ways to learn, unlearn, and relearn. So to facilitate the kinds of processes I was talking about before. And then back to what Brian was saying, I think the I'm very excited about these the intersection of historically unlikely disciplines, roles like nanopharmacy, right, delivering pharmacology at the molecular level. So that that's that's the kind of stuff I think we're going to see more and more of that, and it translates to jobs and opportunity and culture change uh, on a global scale. So I think it's pretty exciting. 
Thank you, Michelle. I saved 30 seconds for you. No more. I'm getting the signal here from our engineer. It's time to wrap this up. So, Michelle, what are the parting words in terms of a prediction you'd like to share? Thank you. So I would say that uh, um, the wargaming will be successful, and that will have the, uh, the effect that actually the, the, the companies that are going to be successful in the future are going to have a decephalic organization with two CEOs, where the E of one stands for executive and the other one for entrepreneur. And the entrepreneur will have to make sure that this uh, content wargaming in a disruptive mode keeps on going so that you can always reinvent yourself. Thank you very much. Always reinventing ourselves. There's another, those are bon mots, words of wisdom. We have to hang on to those. Always reinvent yourself. Christopher's done it. Michelle's done it. Brian, I think you've done it, and I sure as heck have. I think I'm up to 6.5 careers. Thank you so much. Brian W. Mattimore, Christopher Bishop, Michelle Serrier. A pleasure, a privilege to speak with you. Great ideas. All three of you contributed wonderfully to a very engaging conversation. I'm posting a tweet that says, don't miss Disruptive Wargaming, SAP Radio episode with Brian Mattimore, Chris Bishop, Chris, Chris Bishop, Michelle Serrier, and I'm giving the link to the podcast, which will be available in about two hours. So I have my call to action now, and let's do this fast so we get off the air on time. And shout out to Oscar for tweeting. Chris Bishop, you've been tweeting and talking. Well, that's like walking, chewing gum, and cooking broccoli at the same time. I appreciate that. And Michelle, you have to send me the, thank you, Michelle, please send me the caricature, the line drawing of you. It looks fabulous. So here is my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be an innovative, creative, disruptive. That's a new one. Game changer today. I'll be back at 2 p.m. Eastern with another live edition of Think Big, Work Small with Game Changers today. And you don't want to miss that one. It's the Seller's Guide to SEO. You don't know what it is? Tune in. We'll tell you. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Innovating Innovation with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.